Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena Strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 126, Low-Hanging Fruit. My name is David Spill. I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am fantastic, David. How are you? I'm I'm excellent. I love preview season. What can I say? How did the set review go with Ethan? It went really well. I was not, like, crazy sold on this set initially, and I hadn't looked at all of the cards to the great shock of everyone. I don't usually look at the spoilers in advance. But once we started going through it and looking at it, I really think they knocked it out of the park as far as flavor went. They really managed to capture the fairy tale theme. There looked like some interesting cards to play with, and I think that would make for a good limited environment. So I'm I'm actually excited to go back and draft this on Arena, to play some Sealed on Arena, and then I've got some stuff coming up that's made me particularly interested in Standard. Uh, they're going to do another Caster Cup for the Fandom Legends events. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons for me to be playing Magic right now, and, and this new set looks quite exciting. I think there's some interesting new mechanics. Obviously, the adventures look really cool, something that we haven't really got to play with anything like it before um and the food tokens the whole mechanic there uh seems like it'll be neat to to build around and limited so i'm really looking forward to that um and as far as the flavor goes like like you said it it's it's really cool to see all these cards that people that don't necessarily play with magic full-time can identify with so you think back to like sets like ravnica or dominaria or or sets like that where they're really calling back to magic's history this is a brand new plane and think to think about a person coming to their very, very first pre-release. They're coming to a set uh, like this where everything is brand new and they can recognize things in the game from pop culture. And I think that's really cool. I think that'll um, just help them solidify new players. In fact, I recruited two of my, I guess, extended family members to come and play at the pre-release next weekend when I saw them this last uh, this last weekend. So I told them about the set. They play a little bit of Magic. They're like, this sounds fun. We're going to come out and check it out. So... Um, I hope it goes well, and I hope everybody enjoys the set. I'm I'm a believer that there's a possibility that this is an all-star set, and it's quite likely that I won't be able to get enough. <sighs> is it going to be like that for the entire episode, or should we just call it here? <laughs> no, I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay, great. I mean, if you want to slip those in, that's fine, but I, I worry for the people listening at home. Okay, okay. I'll let it go. I, I, can, to- I can tolerate it. <laughs> uh, okay. You almost snuck that one past. <laughs> I should have stopped at two song titles instead of three, and I could have gotten it through. You could have got it through. All right. So as we do our set reviews, um, we usually just do the commons and uncommons, and we're looking at cards that we think stand out, whether they're good or whether they're bad, or just cards that are going to be controversial, I guess. Um, so we're going to start with white. And what are the cards that sit up here for you uh, as we go down the commons and uncommons? So first one jumping out at me is the Ardenville Tactician. Uh, this is one white-white for a 2-3 flyer, and it uses the new mechanic Adventure. Uh, you can cast it as a sorcery for one and a white to cast Dizzying Swoop, instant tap up to two target creatures. So the way these work is you can cast the Adventure side of it and then later cast the creature, or you can just cast the creature and then you don't get the adventure. So you kind of have to choose which one you want to do first. Mechanically, when you cast the adventure, it puts it into the exile zone, and then you can cast the creature from the exile zone. We've seen one white-white for a 2-3 flyer in a lot of different sets, and it's always been pretty dang good. 
uh, adding on a, a, like a half a spell here. Like in most cases, we wouldn't want to cast, you know, one in a white tap to target creatures. Like we would just wouldn't want to do that because we're down a card. But when we kind of get it for free on this creature, like this is a lot of flexibility. It reminds me of like flashback cards or aftermath cards, which we've seen before. You just have to cast them in a particular order this way. I think all of the adventure creatures are good. And this one seems to be no exception. I like if I'm playing white, I want as many of these as I can get. Yeah, I think we're going to see. I think they're all going to evaluate slightly differently, but but. A card like this, you want to evaluate it in its three kind of positions in the game. So if you're casting this on curve, so let's say you go turn two, uh, dizzying swoop, turn three, tactician, you probably gain two life off the exchange, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you tap down a creature, you prevented them from swinging with their two, two or their three, one, you gained a little bit of life and then you played a two, three on curve. Totally fine. Totally acceptable. It means that you can put this in your deck and it counts. It could count as a two drop right into a three drop, which is great. You can top deck it for five mana, three of which have to be white, which might be difficult in the, in a set with no fixing. Um, but at times in the late game, you can top deck it, and it's got an enter the battlefield effect of tap two target, tap two creatures essentially, mm-hmm. which is good, right? Late game, you can swing for the win, or you can swing to push through, through some damage, and then just stick a flyer that same turn. Or you can just play it on turn three as a two three, and it's totally fine. I mean, actually, it's above rate in this in this set, I think. I think there's a lot of 2-2 two, two, and 3-2 two, two flyers around here. So, like, a 2-3 flyer could prove to be really, really good. So I think when you add all of that together, I love modal cards. Cards that have that kind of flexibility in this set are going to be huge picks for me, and this is probably going to be one of them. I expect a card like this is going to be a highly drafted common for me. I think so. I think we'll see all of the adventure cards do that, because the next one I wanted to talk about was Fairy Guide Mother. So I've talked a lot. That, well, let me read the card first. Uh, white for a 1-1 flyer, and then it has the adventure Gift of the Fae. One and a white for a sorcery, target creature gets plus one, plus two, and gains flying until end of turn. Note that's a sorcery, this is not a combat trick. I've often said that one mana 1-1 flyers would probably be good if I could always start with them in my opener. And that's always my concern when I look at a one mana 1-1 flyer, is I can't start with this in my opener, so I'm just going to top deck it later and it's going to be terrible. Well, this is kind of like if you top deck it later, it's sort of like a three mana 1-1 flyer that deals four damage to your opponent's face or five damage to your opponent's face. All of a sudden, I'm pretty interested in that, especially when I've got the flexibility to do both. It's kind of the opposite in uh, of the previous card we looked at, because... Obviously, if you have this in your opener, you're just going to play it for one. But it has all that Dave said otherwise about if you top deck it later, you can force through some damage and then use it. Uh, so, like, both of these common adventure cards look fantastic to me and, like, things I would want to play a lot of. Yeah, and you might look at, at a card like Fairy Guide Mother and say, like, well, I have to have double white in order to do that, and that might be difficult in my deck, but you don't have to do that all at once. Like when I say you can play it for three mana or you can play it for five mana and get the end of the battlefield effect. If it makes sense for you not to do that, you don't have to do that. Um, and I think that's where the flexibility of a lot of these cards are going to be is it's just like you're drawing a card off of these, these adventures in a lot of cases. And I think maybe on fairy uh, guide mother, maybe that's not like, you're not drawing a great card, but on some of these cards we're going to see later, like even the combat tricks, I think, you know, you're casting a combat trick and then drawing a card, and that card is a 3-2 for, for 4 or a 2-3 flyer or something like that. And things like that could be really good. So I think we're going to see, like, we're going to have a lot of options into in the mid to late game in, in our games of limited, sealed, or draft, or whatever. 
because we're going to have a bunch of these things that can go to the adventure zone and we're going to have a bunch of things already in the adventure zone or we're going to have a bunch of things that we can just cast twice on the same turn and effect effectively double spell so i think in a lot of cases i'm going to have a lot of options on my turn and that's always a good thing yeah I, I, more options is certainly good I, it doesn't seem like there's as many mana sinks so to speak but when your cards are like inherently two for ones like i feel like i want to get as many of these adventure cards as i possibly can uh, so mm-hmm. like maybe that's how we figure out what's open is how many of these we're seeing. That's fair. It's going to remind me a lot of more. I feel like it, it just in the, in the, in the number of decisions, like, do I, do I play my morph? Do I wait and play it face up? Do I flip my morph this turn or do I just play another creature from a hand or something like that? And I think for, I, I think there's going to be a lot of those decisions that, that need to be made. And, and it'll be interesting to see how these, these decks shake out, especially when it comes to evaluating the curve. Like, where do you put some of these cards on curve? Yeah, and you know, that's actually a really good point. I think it could be all the fun of Morph without the miserableness of the shell game for the people who weren't in the know. Because, like, Mm -hmm. if you knew about the shell game, and I'm not going to go super deep on this, but if you knew when it was safe to block a Morph with a Morph and when it wasn't safe to block a Morph with a Morph, that could be a very fun game to play. If you were a new player and didn't know the rules for the set and cons, for example, uh, like, you could feel like you were getting blown out and, like, your opponent like had soul reads and it, it's not, they just knew some stuff that you didn't. So I like that the information's all contained on the cards. I like that. Uh, glass casket is the next one that kind of grabbed me. Uh, this is our uncommon removal spell in white. It's one in white for an artifact enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with CMC three or less until it leaves the battlefield. So this is kind of our answer for little things. It also happens to be an artifact, which matters uh, for some of the themes of white and also blue. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a reasonable rate, right? You're you're paying two to get rid of the three CMC creature. Um, it's totally fine. White doesn't really get a ton of removal in this set, I, I don't think. And um, we'll talk about it later, but there's one removal spell that might not be as good as it used to be in the past. So um, we'll have to see if Glass Casket is very important or just kind of important for white. It's important to remember that this is probably not answering any of your opponent's bombs. So I wanted to like caution people against that. There are some three CMC bombs, but like a lot of the like I'm going to win the game cards are in the five and six mana range. And this just isn't answering that. So like Mm -hmm. it's removal, but we've seen stuff like this before. It's here for killing little things. So you could look at this to get rid of a problem flyer or a problem value creature, something like that. Uh, But it's not stopping your opponent's bomb. So I thought that was another reason to mention it here is it, it ain't killing everything. Okay. Um, I think Outflank is probably worth a chat about. Uh, This is white for an instant. Deals damage to target attacking or blocking creature equal to the number of creatures you control. So I think a card like this could potentially be good in a deck that is going to the air, which is a little counterintuitive because it's showing a bunch of knights on the art. And like you could put it in any white deck, it'll probably be okay adjacent. But remember, we have to be in combat. And that's when we can do the damage. So it's almost like a combat trick you're using on your opponent's creatures. They can fiddle with it somehow if they're able to kill one of your creatures in response and you just barely had enough. But at one white mana, I think this is probably worth looking out for. The reason I'm not super excited about it is because if I'm attacking and then you get the block and then I use this to kill your dude, I'm not forcing through the damage. So that makes me a little concerned about it. Uh, But this is a way to remove things in white and you're going to want that. Um divine inner no which deal four damage to target a attacking creature for two mana what was that divine something 
uh, Ajani's Gideon's punch. Yeah, you impeccable know, timing. Approach. We've always seen impeccable this. timing. Yeah, yeah. Um, righteous blow. Think cards like that. So obviously dead if you're way behind. But what card isn't? Um, I, I mean, I won't mind one of these in my white decks. I think as I'm looking through this, especially like um, if I've got a few of these token makers rally for the throne cards like that where where it's easy for me to go wide and just have a bunch of random dorky creatures kicking around um also if i have a deck like that i'm probably looking to pick outflank a little bit higher than um than other removal or at least i'm looking i'm I'm not necessarily going out of my way to pick these but i I would gladly play two or three if i had a board that could go wide quite easily yeah I, i don't think this is something that you take early but if you see them light and you're already in white grab you one if there's one in your sealed pull don't dismiss it um, mm-hmm. A card I actively want people to look out for is Righteousness. This is actually a very old card that's been reprinted, so I've had the chance to play with this. God, it was probably in like beta or something. But it's white for an instant. Target blocking creature gets plus seven, plus seven until end of turn. Those are super big numbers. But one of my least favorite things to do is use a defensive combat trick. And this is a combat trick that is only a defensive combat trick. We've seen cards in the past like Smite, which was white, destroy target, blocked creature. That I was pretty happy to play, although it still wasn't like a premium removal spell. Righteousness will sometimes be able to win you a combat in a big way. You block your opponent's bomb, buff your dude or dudette, all of a sudden it's dead. But the reason that combat tricks are so scary when used on the defense is your opponent probably has all of their mana up. If they have any sort of bounce, which there's plenty of in the set, or any sort of instant speed interaction at all, which there's enough of in the set to be aware of, you're going to get two for one. So I'm actively looking to avoid righteousness, probably don't want to put it in my deck. I will get got by it, but hopefully I'm prepared for it. Also, just remember that this is in the set. If you have, like, your opponent's been suspiciously holding up one white ever since you played your big bomb, there's a possibility that it's out there. But this is not something that I want to be putting in my deck. I'd I'd rather do the opposite. I cannot overstate that, everything you just said. (laughs) Yeah, this is like (laughs) a a big potential trap card for me. Yep, I agree. Do not play this. Yep. Uh, Let's see. Other big ones for me. I kind of dug the uh, Silver Flame Squire. In a, in a big way. This is another common adventure card. And there's some common adventure cards I'm skipping over. But I liked this one a lot. Uh, it's one in a white for a 2-1. And then it has the other text on alert. It's an instant for its adventure. Two in a white. Target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Untap it. So this is like an expensive combat trick for me that can come back as a 2-1 and do something. It's sadly not a knight. But I think there's enough value to be had here that I can be pretty happy with this. I can win a combat and then later get a 2-1 down. The cost is a little much for the combat trick. So like you're paying a premium for this value. But I I still kind of liked this card. Do you think this is one we're excited to play or just like, oh yeah, that's neat? I think I'm really interested to play in playing the combat trick adventures. And I'll I'll tell you why. I I look at it as you're paying a premium in the as a form of two for one insurance so if if i'm casting this for its adventure and i get two for one because my opponent uses an instant speed removal in response i still have a card in my hand i have a two one for two that i can play at any point later in the game so it's it's my opponent can still it's not really a it's it's not really a one for one and it's not really a two for one it's somewhere in between 
So I'm paying that little bit extra and playing a 2-1 in my deck, which I'm probably going to play at some point anyway, just to protect myself against using... So for example, this is a good defensive combat trick because it untaps your creature, Mm -hmm. right? If I get got, I still have the card or a card in my hand that I can use later. So it's I'm, I'm not losing an entire card's worth of value out of it, um, plus the creature that's on the board. So I'm probably going to take these a little bit higher than I would take normal combat tricks in a normal set, just because of that extra insurance, and I like the flexibility. I liked them too, because like if, if I draft a lot of combat tricks, and sometimes I do if I'm playing green-white, for example, you can end up where you got too many tricks and not enough dudes or dudettes, and in this case, that can't really happen when all your creatures are combat tricks. So I like that too. Yeah. Uh, Trapped in the Tower was one that Ethan and I argued quite a bit about. And it seemed to be pretty contentious. And I kind of didn't expect it to be that way. Uh, one in a white for an aura. Enchant creature without flying. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. And its activated abilities can't be activated. Okay. I think this runs the problem of pacifism in, or similar to the, the problem with pacifism in M20. Pacifism wasn't as great as it is normally because there's a lot of end of the battlefield effects, right? Um, so you, you'd stick your pacifism down, but your opponent's creature would have already gotten its value out of it. Not really along the same lines, but I think where Ethan was coming from is that there are common and uncommon uh, bounce effects in blue, in white, making a card like Trapped in the Tower slightly or or somewhat worse than it would be in, in any other set. And then obviously Enchant, like you can't get a creature with Flyer with this, obviously another knock on it too. So it's already a little bit worse than Pacifism. And then you have to look at the cards that are around it. In black, there's a card that you can sacrifice to uh, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature. There's Shepherd of the Flock, which has an adventure on it to return a, per- a permit you control to its owner's hand. There's, in blue, there's the bounce one of my things, bounce one of your things at common. So there's just a couple of these extra things that make these pacifism effects slightly worse. And I I think that's what the point was trying to be made, except it was a little hyperbolic. Yeah, that's fair. And I I think that we should kind of be clued into it's going to be a little worse, because in the past we've gotten this style of effect for three mana. So while we get in a discount all of a sudden, because it's probably not as good as it used to be... I think if you're using pacifism to kill your opponent's 2-2, you're probably missing the point of pacifism style effects anyway. And yes, they could get them back. Something like Shepherd of the Flock, I'm not particularly worried about, because if you've held that in your hand to get me with my traps in the tower, like, you did it, buddy. You could have killed me with the 3-1 by then. But I, I do take their points on other things. That said, if you're playing white and you need a way to answer your opponent's bomb, this is it. You, yeah, you have to do it. You, you don't have other options. So like there's, I can remember people saying, you know, God, I don't remember the name of the card. Uh, there was a card in Kaladesh that was like two and a black for a sorcery, destroy target creature or vehicle. They're like, man, it's not Doomblade. I'm like, it doesn't matter. This is what we have. That means it's good removal because in the context of this set, it is. So for, for me, like it can't be that bad because this is your way to answer bombs in white. Yeah, exactly. And, or like white, blue, right? Same thing. Are you going to play this? You're going to play claustrophobia or whatever it's called in this set. So, um, it's just, I, I think it's just, it's, it suffers that it gets compared to black and black has such good removal in this set. And red has such good removal in, in this set that this is, this is not your tier one removal. This is not your premium removal spell. Whereas in sets past a, a spell like pacifism might've been, um, it's just, that's not how it is these days. So yeah. I think that's, keep in mind, you're going to play this, 
it's not like, oh, white is open because I got a second pick trapped in the tower. That That's not what you should be looking for. Not necessarily, but I would still caution people like the the pacifism is bad thing I found to be the case in drafting on Arena when I was drafting the last core set because the bot still thought white was a color. When I went back and drafted some on Magic Online and I, I like I had a deck with five pacifisms in it and it was an easy 3-0 because like the, the players were avoiding white too. The difference was I was like, if you're going to pass me all the pacifisms, I'll take it. And like it was very close to a mono white deck and it was quite good. So I still wouldn't necessarily avoid this card. Like I can see myself taking this second pick out of an admittedly weak pack, but I could see me being very interested in this. Um, I mm-hmm. just think like what Dave's saying is true. Like red has better removal, black has better removal. But if you're blue, white or white, green, this is what you got. You got to work with it. Absolutely. Those are the big takes for white for me. Was there anything else that jumped out for you? Mysterious Pathlighter is one that is interesting to me. So it's two and a white for a 2-2 flyer, which I love me a Windrake. Mm-hmm. It just it just in general. Um, but it has the extra text of each creature you control that has an adventure on it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter. And you don't have to send it on its adventure first. Um, I, I, I looked at the numbers before the before we started today, and there are 23 common and uncommon adventure cards spread over all of the colors. So you should have a good number, and especially if you're picking them up because you value the combat trick versions or you value just the good solid value creatures. Um, I think most of them are playable, meaning that a card like this that I would be playing at that rate anyway gets extra value and is just easy to put into my white deck. So I'm really looking to pick this up. Um, Like, I think early on, I'm hoping to get it in a sealed pool or hoping to get it early in a draft so that I can mess around with it and see how good it can be. But I think it can be pretty good. You can get that extra little bump on some of your creatures that might be underrated because, or not underrated, but like understated because they're part of an adventure. And this can give it that little extra boost. Yeah, it it seems like a free anthem for value cards you're playing anyway. And like, if this is a 1-1, I would argue with you a little bit here. But a 3-mana 2-2 flyer with gravy text sounds great to me. Yeah, exactly. It's all upside after that. Um, I I don't know if this is going to be good, but I think it's something that you need to be aware of uh, because it's a common is Shining Armor is one in a white for an artifact equipment with flash. When it enters the battlefield, attach it to target knight you control. Equip creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has vigilance. Um you know we've we've had cards like this before in the form of auras it it now it's in equipment form so it's probably a little more annoying i don't know if i'm ever going to play it but i do think that you know you're facing down a a white x opponent uh, at your pre-release or something like that and they left four mana open suspiciously and you're going to attack into their 2-2 knight you know they might eat a 2-2 on your side of the t- on the table and then have something left over just be aware of it um that you could get got by it and it'll suck and be aware if you're playing it that your opponent could have instant speed removal or bounce. And like, it's not quite a two for one in that case because you still have this left over, but you've got a weird artifact that's not very good. It, it's also worth pointing out that Knights is a very strong theme in white, black, and red, which has led to me hearing a lot of people saying things like, I'm excited to play Mardu Knights at my pre release. I would encourage you not to play Mardu Knights at your pre release. I am a firm believer that you can play white-black knights, you can play white-red knights, or you can play black-red knights, but you can't play martyr knights unless you want to ride with the devil's mana base, and that is not what I want to be doing. 
the fixing in this set is pretty poor. So I think Knights is a theme that spreads across three colors, but that's not telling you that you should play three colors, just that if I pick a red knight card, I'm not locking myself into a color pair, but I am locking myself into, I'm I'm probably locked into that wedge, right? Like I'll want to pair this with white or black, probably not green or blue if I go very heavy for that knight's theme. Right. Yeah, um, there were 11 or 12 common and uncommon knights in red, black, and uh, white. Okay. Counting the multicolor cards there. So keep that in mind is that there are a good number of knight cards that you should be able to pick up. But that's it. That's really it for me in white. I mean, there's some cards there that are obviously good that we kind of skipped over. Um, nothing really too terrible, I don't think. Um, I, I like the look of white. I just don't like the removal, unfortunately. I think it's fine for what white gets these days, and it makes sense that pacifism could come back in now. Back in the old days, the spells were better and the creatures were worse. Now the creatures kind of come with spells attached to them in many cases, so it makes sense that like a pacifism-style effect would be worse. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to blue. Sorry, you were going to say? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, let's move on to blue. Uh, Animating All Fairy right. was the first one that got me pretty excited. Uh, its adventure is bring to life two in a blue. Target non-creature artifact you control becomes a zero-zero artifact creature with four plus one plus one counters on it. That's the adventure. The creature is just two in a blue for a two-two flyer. I'm going to be picking this very highly, I think, in a lot of packs. If my rare's not good, I could see me picking this over a lot of other cards just because of that Windrake flexibility on it, but also there are some cards that you can get a food token on turn one or turn two and then turn it into a 4 4 on turn three. It's going to be great, right? And if the food token existed before, I think it it can attack, right? Yeah, it wouldn't have summoning sickness. It wouldn't have summoning sickness, right? So you could be swinging with a with a 4-4 four, four on turn 3, and then the next turn you play a 2-2 two, two flyer. Yeah, and like the, the opportunity cost of putting this in your deck is virtually nothing, right? Like you'd play a 2-2 two uh, two in yep. a blue for a 2-2 two, two flyer anyway. There's also artifacts in blue that I'm pretty happy to be putting in my deck. Oh, we'll get to the one that I'm really interested in playing, but like there will be a play, a play pattern, even if you don't have food tokens, where you're playing two very good blue cards. One of This is one of them, and making a 4-4 four, four on turn 3 quite frequently, I think. Quite frequently, but frequently enough to notice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Charmed Sleep is our blue pacifism, claustrophobia, whatever you want to call it. Uh, One blue, blue enchant creature. Uh, Tap it. It doesn't untap. It suffers from everything that the pacifism style effect does, except we can hit flyers with it. It doesn't kill activated abilities unless they tapped to do them. And it's also, also double blue, which is a bit more of a commitment. Yeah, man, there's going to be a lot of commitments in this set when it comes to colors. I don't know if you've noticed. It does seem like they're really pushing this idea of like three mana of one color. And that's another reason I think the mana is just not going to support three color decks realistically. Like, I realize that's a very hot take, but I I, I don't think I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be a theme of milling yourself or milling your opponent and I didn't super like the payoffs I was getting for that, although I recognize that they're there, uh, which leads me to didn't say please. One blue-blue for an instant counter-target spell. It's controller mills three. Um, I typically don't like three-mana counters in limited. I, I actually think they're okay in sealed, which is why I'll, I'll, why I will point out if you're building a sealed deck and getting ready for your pre-release and you're short a little bit on playable, something like this can be a little better in, in sealed because you'll usually see higher power level cards. And in draft, I usually don't want them. But this is one of the enablers for milling your opponent for some of your payoff cards that I actually don't hate if you need to play it. 
Uh, that said, I, I wouldn't expect to see me playing this card very often. Mm-hmm. There's a better counter spell coming up here, actually. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Fairy Vandal leads into a mechanic uh, that you'll see spread across blue and red. It's one and a blue for a one-two flash flyer. When you draw your second card each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Fairy Vandal. So you kind of have to do that thing once. Draw an extra card to be happy with your rate on this. Because like a one-two flyer for two we're not super excited about. It, it makes me wonder if this couldn't have been a two-one. Like, I think maybe it would have been too good, but it doesn't seem like that hoop is going to be too difficult to jump through with a little bit of, like, work in your drafting. Uh, so I think Fairy Vandal could be quite good. Kind of disappointed. Well, actually, maybe I'm not disappointed that it's an uncommon instead of a common. <laughs> because, well, no, because, like, I think what you're going to be looking to pick first or early are the the uncommon themes in this, in this like, this mechanic. Mm-hmm. And then you're not going to get these later is kind of what it feels like to me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll be happy that it's not a common because I won't get run over by, like, three fours and four fives. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll right. see as we play through with it, but I think the card has potential. Uh, Frogify is one that I don't think is going to be super amazing, and I'm not going to, like, encourage you to to pick necessarily, although I think it's going to be playable. I just don't think it's going to be busted. It's it's one in a blue enchant creature. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a one one frog. I might be crazy, but I might like this more than the other ones, like the pacifism effect and the charm sleep. Because if you think that there's a lot of bounce in this set or ways to get like get your creatures out from under these these effects, maybe you can convince them to chump block with a one one, and then that thing is gone. So 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 you're <laughs> you're you're making it so that you're getting you're not getting got by those bounce effects later question mark. Like I'd probably rather frogify than uh, uh charm sleep. It's easier to cast kind of does the same thing, except they gain like three or four life off of it at some point. Yeah. I, d- I don't want to give my opponent that three or four life. Like I, and I think generally speaking, we had this style effect in our, of uh, not our of devastation. What's the one where they invaded Ravnica war of the spork. We had that in blue. And like, I, I, I was a strong proponent of you can play this card because everybody was kind of against it. Like, this is the same card. You can play it. I just don't think it's great. Sure. That, so that that's, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's where fair. I'm at. Uh, Hypnotic Sprite, I think, is the better counterspell, potentially. I love the flexibility on this card. It's blue-blue for a 2-1 flyer. Its adventure is Mesmeric Glare for 2 and a blue. Counter-target spell with CMC 3 or less. I love this because there's going to be games where you can't cast this on turn two anyway. And there's going to be games where you don't have a three drop in your hand, but you do have this. So I think like you're encouraged to use this early. And if you don't, you just play it as a two, one flyer, which is really good for, for two blue. So, or for blue, blue. So I'm all about this card. I think this is going to be a counter spell. I'm very happy to play in limited. Same, same. Like I don't typically love three mana counters, but three mana counters that have no opportunity cost. Sure. I'll put them in. So my play pattern for this is if I have blue, blue on turn two, I'm just slamming this down on the table. I want a two, one flyer. Let's go. If I don't, and I get stuck with like blue, red, red in my opener, and I don't have a better three drop, all of a sudden I can do something with this and then get my flyer lighter, which makes me super happy. I think where the interesting decision is going to be is if you have blue blue and another two drop you can play for blue blue. I can't think of one that you might be able to that you're actually playing in blue. So maybe this will never come up. 
but do you play that other two drop to keep this in your hand to potentially counter a spell on turn three or do you just slam it anyway because it's a two one flyer on turn two probably depends on what my next turn is looking like if my next turn Mm -hmm. is looking like i don't actually have a play um and i'm on the play then i'm almost always going to hold it because that means i can i can definitely get something next turn if my opponent's going to untap with four mana probably not we'll just play this Okay, I look forward to seeing those uh, those types of decisions, though, and that's where I was talking about, like, you know, it's it's the morph game and without the shell game because you have to make these interesting decisions. So, fair enough. Um, Queen of Ice is another adventure card that I dug quite a bit. Uh, this was two and a blue for a two, two three. Whenever it deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature. It doesn't untap during that controller's next untap step. So it's a Telerian Scholar with upside already. If they attack into you with it and you block it, their dude gets tapped. It'll still do that when it's attacking too, right? So, like, it's a little bit hard to block, but obviously it's not going to be attacking that much. And it's got Rage of Winter as a sorcery adventure. Tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. This is a common with that level of flexibility. Have you ever top-decked a Frostlynx on, like, turn 17? Yes, that's what this is for five mana yeah um and and it's still great like it's uh it's fantastic the flexibility what was the wall that had this effect was it wall of frost or wall of ice or something like that i mean bigger stats because like a zero seven or something like that but cards like this are annoying to play against if you've got a bunch of little dudes because you can't you can attack into it with like two two twos and then you can't attack the next turn or not two two twos but like you know what i mean you can attack into it and then you probably can't attack the next turn because you've lost one of your creatures for a turn. It's just there's it's super interesting. Um I like the the that it's a common because I think like I'm just gonna take as many of these as I can in a lot of decks. Um and you can play a tempo game with it, you can play a defensive game with it, you can do a lot of different things with it. I think it's it's a very interesting card. I do too. I like it a lot. Uh Runaway Together has been referenced a couple times, so let's just get it out there. It's a functional reprint. Uh, one in a blue for an instant. Choose two target creatures controlled by different players. Return those creatures to their owner's hand. So bounce your thing, bounce my thing. Relevant for two-headed giant, I'm going to bounce two of my opponent's things for two mana. Okay, okay. So that text does matter a little bit. Fair enough. So it's yes, a functional replant unless it's two-headed giant. Unless it's two-headed giant. But yeah, no, it's... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play these for sure. Like, especially if I'm looking to get things out from under enchantments um, or just protect my creatures, but also as a tempo game. Um, if you have adventure creatures that you can get back to your hand, like, I can see Runaway Together plus Hypnotic Sprite to counter something and then just play the creature again at some point later. All of that is a possibility, but I will argue short of any of those shenanigans, you're spending a card and not functionally doing anything so you have to find that scenario to get value out of this. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm putting. Am I putting one of these in all my blue decks? Absolutely. Am I putting three of these in any of my blue decks? No, I don't want that much of it. Right. So, like, it's not that this is a bad card. It's that you have to look for that value and find it. If one of your creatures is under a pacifism, it's a no-brainer. This is great. If you can bounce an adventure creature of your own in a token of your opponent's, you've probably gotten your value. But if you're just looking at a board stall where we're kind of staring at each other, this doesn't actually do anything. So I, I would caution people not to overvalue this, but to feel pretty comfortable putting one in their blue decks. Uh, I think you'll be able to get your value out of it. Agreed. 
And let's see the, I think the last one for me, oh no, because I want to talk about Witching Well too. Uh, so Tomb Raider, two and a blue for a 1-1 flyer when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. You want to find a way to get a little bit of value off of a runaway together, start with a Tome Raider. Like, I just like this card. It's an Elvish Visionary, but we pay one extra and it gets flying. Like, that that looks great to me. I, if if I have four of these and that's all of my three drops, I'm good. Yeah, that is that is pretty good. Um, the upside is, obviously, they play into the draw a second card on your turn mm-hmm. mechanic. Um, and, they're, and they don't really take up a, a slot in your deck. Like, you don't have to go through hoops to make this worth putting in your deck. Uh, because it just goes into your deck. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a high pickup in that archetype. But even if you're not in that archetype, I think you want a couple of these, too, if if you end up getting them. I mean, yeah, they get shut down by flyers, but, like, who cares? They've replaced themselves all about these cards. Yeah, I mean, and then the last one for me for uh, blue was Witching Well. Uh, this is blue for an artifact. Enters the battlefield, scry two, three and a blue, sack it, draw two cards. So why do I like this? Inspiration's already pretty good. Scrying two is already pretty good. It's got both of those stapled onto it. And having an artifact is a pretty big mechanic for blue and also somewhat in white. So being able to get that in your deck at a relatively low cost, sort of attached to a draw spell, uh, seems pretty darn good to me. It'll also smooth out some of your openers. Like, I'd feel pretty comfortable keeping a one-lander with this and a couple of two-drops in hand, being like, yeah, I'll find the land, it'll be fine. Because with Scry 2, you get to go so deep. Or maybe I keep a hand that's got, you know, five lands, this, and one other card. I'm like, it'll be fine. We'll scry some lands to the bottom or make sure we hit action and then draw into more. So I I like this card a good bit. Not saying go nuts and first pick it, but this looks pretty good. I mean, it's cheap enabler for artifacts matter. Uh, It gives you a target for your, uh, what was it, animating fairy. There's all sorts of things that this thing does at the same time as giving you an installment plan for drawing cards later. Yeah, like... I, I don't expect that you will see many of these late in a pack. No, no, because the, the blue players are going to want them. The only way that you could is because, like, I'm probably not playing more than two of these. So, like, if just a lot of them got opened, you could start seeing them. But I imagine every blue player is putting at least one of these in their deck. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's 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 like you said, it's mulligan insurance, too, right? It's like it's like the blue opt, Travis. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> it's a sorcery speed opt. Yeah. All right. I think you got them all for me, so I'm I don't have anything else to add for cards that we've missed. Um, let's move into black then. Okay. I'll but I take this away. Yeah, get us started. I I made you a nice pie. Bake into a pie. Two black black is your instant speed premium removal in the set. Destroy target creature. Create a food token. What's your secret ingredient? Glad- um, goblin. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. The, the key the key is you roast it salt it a little bit before you put it in there the salt brings out the extra the extra flavor you'd be surprised okay um i mean we we're the reason i'm bringing this up here is because it is the premium removal in the set mm-hmm. you will play as many of these as you can it's basically murder yeah like i don't think we have to say anything else about it right no and it gives you a food token and there's other ways to use that in black so it's kind of a self-contained thing, and you can find stuff to do with that. Even if you don't, if you've ever got two mana laying around and there's no other way to use food in your deck, being able to just gain three life is not a bad thing for two mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, next for me, Barrow Witches. Four and a black for a 3-4. When it enters the battlefield, return target knight card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, like I said, there's lots of knights. If you're playing black, you're probably playing some number of knights already that, that you want to get back. If you're playing black-red or black-white, 
you definitely have knights that you want to get back, and the body's pretty good here. Um, it's no Gravedigger, but it's pretty close if you're playing the right deck. Yeah, it's not asking a lot of work to be a Gravedigger. It does suffer somewhat from the 5-drop tax, but whatever, I'm going to play these. I, I I don't think I want, like, three of them in most decks, and I think very few decks would want two, but I'm probably putting one in all of my black decks. Agreed. Um, Bog Naughty, this is a nasty card. Three black black for a 3-3 three, three flyer. I mean, we've played those before. With the activated ability, two and a black and sacrifice a food, target creature, creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. That's pretty good. Like... I'm if if I first pick this, I'm snapping up as many food enabler or food makers as I can. Because if you can get two activations or even just one activation off this card, it's so above rate, it's ridiculous. Yeah, because like three mana target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. If that was just an instant in this set, we'd be like, hey, that's not a bad removal spell, Bill. Like, and we get that just stapled to this. It's just asking, yo, bake me a pie. I'll do that. If I remember back to looking at the power toughness graph, I think like, the vast majority of creatures had three toughness or less. Yeah, it like sure looks like it to me. Yeah, there weren't very many fours and up, so this should kill most of the things that you care about. And if it doesn't, you've already got five mana. It's not going to be that hard to get to six. Get two foods. Yeah, exactly. So repeatable food sources are going to be, like, really, really good with this, obviously. So look for those those little synergies. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's next for me. Um... There's Epic Downfall, and then what's the other one that does the other half? So there's Epic Downfall, which is one in a black for exile target creature with converted mana cost three or greater. And then there's one for three or less, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's Reeve Soul, Re- like common. Reeve Soul. So I probably like Epic Downfall a whole heck of a lot more than Reeve Soul. Um, but if you can't get Bacon to Pie, these guys are going to be a, a pretty okay replacement. Agree. I think Epic Downfall will kill most of the bombs that you want to kill. And Reef Soul is kind of there, like as a way to kill a flyer that's annoying you. And that's a good way to look at it, actually. Oh, it's power three or less, not CMC three or less. Okay, I see it now. Um, festive Funeral. I want to talk about this one? Four and a black for an instant target. Or target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard. This reminds me a lot of Throttle. So Throttle was like four mana minus four minus four. Yeah, this is like Throttle but bad. I. I don't know that it's bad. I, I do. do you think, I mean, yeah, I'll help you out. It's really bad. Around it. How is it bad? It's, it's, it's bad compared to everything else around it. But I think that like, if you should be able to get minus four, minus four out of this pretty easily for five mana. No, you're, that's ridiculous. So like flatten was a good card. That was three and a black minus four, minus four. Remember flatten? I do. It was the better throttle. It was like the next block. Yeah, yeah. It was what really good. So throttle was bad, but it was bad in a set. Like, I I wasn't excited about throttle. We played throttle because there just wasn't better removal around. And that was set up because they really wanted you to be spending five mana to kill people's morphs. Because they could unmorph them for five mana, so there was a risk involved. So, like, there's a reason Throttle was in the set that it was in. So this is Throttle, but I've got to work for it. So, like, sure, I can see some times where I can get minus four, minus four out of this. But not necessarily every time, and not necessarily exactly when I want it. Like, if I'm putting this in my black deck, I've drafted poorly and black wasn't open. Is, is what this is telling me. And I feel like this is one of those cards that we've talked about this some where they've designed sets so that 
if if you don't know what you're doing and you're just picking the cards that are the color that you like, you can still end up with a playable deck. This is certainly a playable card, but it is not a good card because it doesn't always do what I want it to do. Like, I do like that it's instant speed, but like just trade off creatures like that isn't always an option. Sometimes I have a three drop that doesn't block particularly well. My opponent's killing me. I finally draw my fifth mana to cast my removal spell and it's this and it just doesn't do anything. Hmm. Man, I, I have a lot of games where I have four cards in my graveyard at some point in the game. Yeah. Five cards in my graveyard at some point in the game. Did like, did any of them get there with, like, did you use a removal spell at any point before that that, like, stabilized probably. you? Well, it wasn't this one. I mean, I cast a removal spell. A creature of mine died to my opponent's removal spell. I drew cards off of the card draw spell. Like, I don't know. You make it sound like there's so many of these hoops that you have to jump through. Like, just playing magic. Like take a step back and and as you're going through this set and just ignore like don't draft this card don't draft enablers for it and just look at like turn six turn seven turn eight in your game how many cards are in your graveyard sometimes it's going to be four sometimes it's going to be six sometimes it's Mm going to be two and sometimes it's going to be one saying that that you make it sound like you never have any cards in your graveyard ever and never never you're never going to cast this for anything more than minus one minus one ever no i'm I'm just saying yes that's exactly what you're saying and i'm calling you out on it here there's better removal in the set yes if you drafted this over other removal or you or this is the only removal in your set you probably in your draft deck you probably did it wrong what i'm saying is that like this card is not unplayable and it's not bacon a pie either it can be between those, but I still want to make a slight argument here, and I'm going to use the Hearthstone argument. So this is a card that when I put it in my deck, I'm encouraged to either draft weird enablers to mill myself or to count on it's going to do what I want it to do when I get the mana to do it. So like Hearthstone will have a lot of cards that have inherent variants on the cards because their mana system just lets you basically play a land for free every turn. Whereas in Magic, we don't get to do that. The variance in Magic is, did I draw the right mix of lands and spells? So it's like doubling down on variance because I don't know exactly what this card is going to do at every point where I'll draw it. And I still have to deal with that. Did I draw enough lands to be able to cast this or my other spells at the same time? So like I I have an intense dislike for this type of of spell. Now, if there's a self-mill deck and like there's cards that are kind of saying you should probably try to do that, then this could go in it. But if it was three mana, hell yeah, let's talk. Maybe I'll do some shenanigans to enable it. But I've got to like overpay and let stuff happen. Like, nah, I'm out. I don't think I'm ever casting this. Okay. I don't disagree. <laughs> Forboding Fruit is two and a black for a sorcery. Target player draws two cards and loses two life with Adamant. We haven't really talked about this, but if you cast this spell with three black mana instead of two colorless or two generic and a black, you get a food token as well. So this is our sign in blood or um, not read the bones, but close to it um, with the upside of maybe making you a food token. I actually really dig this one a lot. Like, it's functionally divination in black at the cost of two life, which I think is nice. We can potentially get the life back from the food if we draw it late and we've got the black mana to make the food cool. If we don't, we just need to hit our land drop. Sure, fire it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll play many of these over the course of my drafting. Um, let's. You want to talk about Forever Young? Is this a card you're interested in? Yes, I am. Okay, so one of the black for a sorcery, put any number of target creature cards from your graveyard on top of your library, draw a card. 
how much of the time do you think you're just going to be picking your best card out of your graveyard and not doing anything else? And how many times do you think you're going to be putting more than one card on top of your library? So Ethan actually got into this one a little bit on the set review, and I kind of dug it because like people will often say things like, well, this card cycles, so it can't be that bad. But most of them actually don't when they're saying that because it's like, what I mean when I say a card cycles is that I can cast it on two to draw a card all the time, every time, and later in the game it can do something else. But this actually does do that. It's any number of target creature cards, right? So, like, do I have to target a creature card? No. No, because zero is a number. So I can cycle this on turn two, and on turn seven I can get my best creature back that's a five drop and just play it. And I could potentially sculpt my next draw, right? Like if there's a second best creature, why not put that on top too? So I think the fact that you've got all of that flexibility from I can cycle this on turn two to this is a pretty good draw late in the game because it'll let me get back all of my best creatures in the order that I'd like to draw them, that I'm pretty happy with this. We've seen it before in the form of Footbottom Feast, which cost one extra, I believe, and may have been an instant for random reasons. Uh, but I... Th- I think I'm pretty happy to play one copy of this in any black deck. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as exciting as Soul Salvage because Soul Salvage has the opportunity to cast like both of your creatures. Yeah, you draw both. If of you have them. enough mana, yeah, you, you draw both of them and you can cast them both at the same time. Like if you have enough mana on that turn, but I think that was pretty rare. But this does give me the vibe of a Soul Salvage. If you're getting two of your best cards back, one goes in your hand, one goes to the top of your library you're probably playing that second card next turn anyway with Soul Salvage, so I really like this card. I think of it as like almost Graveyard Scry, if you want to like staple something to this. like We get to decide what our next card is going to be. It's just got to be the best one in our graveyard. And like despite all of my pooping on Festive Funeral, eventually stuff will go to the graveyard, and getting the best one back into your hand is pretty good. Getting the second one back on top of your library will often be quite good too. Agreed. Um, and works really well with the adventure cards once the creature has died. So um, Foul Mire Knight is a single black for a 1-1 death touch with the adventure 2 and a black. You draw a card and lose one life. Super interesting card. I love the design of this card. Yeah, this looks great. Like, if I draw it early and I need to play it on turn 1, I can. It's probably going to trade for something later as well. But like, if I can just wait and cast it up for the 3-mana version first, this seems pretty good. Yeah, if I have nothing else to do on turn three or I have like instant speed removal that I'm holding up instead and I don't need to use it, cycle it and then play a creature like you're drawing two cards off of it at that point. Essentially, you're drawing a one one death toucher, which I really like one one death touchers most of the time. So uh, said said scorpion is my my best friend. So yeah, this is right up my alley. Um, Moving on, uh, Lost Legion, one black black for a two three at common spirit knight relevant i should be mentioning ones that are knights here when lost legion enters the battlefield scry two yeah this seems fine to me i think it needs to go obviously in a heavy black deck right because like that that's a pretty heavy casting cost compare it to the white creature we looked at earlier where we got flying and adventure it's not quite as good at that but it has good tags uh there's a lot of things that care about having knights and who doesn't want to scry two so i, I kind of looked at this one as like maybe this is something i'm looking to wheel or get pick five uh, once I've decided I'm in black, but I like the card. Yeah, you really want to be casting this one curve a lot of the time to set up your next couple of draws, try to hit your land drops, but even late game, it's fine. Yeah, if I get to scry land at the bottom and then put a good spell on top, I'm thrilled. I drew a card. Uh, Malevolent Noble, say that three times fast. One and a black for a 2-2 two, two human noble. 
with the activated ability to sacrifice an artifact where another creature put a plus one plus one counter on malevolent noble this guy wants Hot. to get fat oh my god and it's a common mm-hmm. i'm having flashbacks to the uh the the phallid the death bloom phallid <laughs> I mean, I am, like, except that this is permanent, obviously, and it's a two-drop, so you play it on curve, and if it dies, who cares? If it doesn't, great, I'm going to start eating my my foods, I'm going to start eating random creatures. Like, this blanks removal, so you have to kill this with removal, or else it just eats the thing that you're going to remove. Um, this is This could be, like, a must-answer. This could be why cards like Reeve Soul exist in the format. And pacifism. Like, you've got to pacify this, and pacifism. right? Because if you pacify something else, I'm just going to eat it. But, like, overall, I really like this card. Yeah, um, this is going to be a high common pickup for me, for sure. Two mana, two, two. Um, I mean, with upside. Yeah, it's just good. Remember when we used to just get two mana, two, twos for, with vanilla text on them? And we were thrilled about it in black. Like, I remember when Walking yeah. Corpse was printed and we're like, wow. <laughs> we weren't wow. Get out of I here. I was a little wow. No. Order of Midnight, one and a black for a flying two, two. What? Oh, can't block. Who cares? Uh, it's a human knight. Okay, that's amazing. And it has adventure. Alter fate. One in a black for a sorcery adventure. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So it's a four mana flying gravedigger that can't block. Yes. For for an extra black pip. Unless you need to cast it on turn two, which is totally fine. Which is totally acceptable because you're going to be beating your opponent in the face with a two mana 2-2 two, two flyer. Yeah. So this is one of the cards that you could get from playing the Brawl event. I played this in a Constructed deck, and it was good. So, like, let that sink in for just a second. This was good enough for Constructed. Like, whether an actual deck will come of it in the new standard, I don't know. But every time I was getting both sides of this in Constructed, I was super thrilled. I think that might be it for me. Uh, There's one more for me, and that's the Bell of the Brawl. I think she's worth mentioning because of tags and like, this is pretty good. It's two and a black for a three, two menace. When it attacks other knights, you control get plus one plus O until end of turn. This is just a solid rate. Like three mana for a three, two menace has always been pretty good. It plays well with combat tricks and then pumping your other knights while it happens means that like, they kind of don't want to block them. They want to gang block this. You're forcing damage. Like I, I can see some good stuff happening with the bell of the brawl. Lots of knights. Lots of knights. I'm very curious to know, like, at the end of the whole set, what the average knight count in, like, a black-white or a black-red deck will be, because I think it'll be quite high. Infinite is my guess. I mean, that was useful. Yeah, I'm here to help. (laughs) All right. Uh, Red, do you want to do red? Yeah, let's do red. Uh, So this is not the most impressive card on the planet, but you need to be aware that it exists. Below your house down is two in red for a sorcery. Three target creatures can't block this turn. Destroy any of them that are walls. There's not really that many walls, although there are some, but there's a falter effect in this format for three mana is what we need to be aware of. Um, I I can't wait to side this in against the triple brimstone (laughs) trebuchet deck. Yeah. Speaking of which, Brimstone Trebuchet, I, I, I kind of dig this card, although I'm not quite sure if it's actually going to be great or not, uh, but it's two and a red for an artifact, one three defender reach. You can tap it to deal one damage to each opponent. Whenever a knight enters the battlefield, untap it. Um, so generally speaking, I like these pinger effects. Like if I think about what do I expect my three drop to do in my average deck, it's probably deal three-ish damage and then get stalled, trade off and or block. And this can kind of do that, and the reach is kind of nice while that's happening. But if we do get to a board stall, it can get in some extra damage too. So I, I think this is at least okay. 
I think the reach is going to be surprisingly relevant. It'll block a lot of tutus. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you remember Thermo Alchemist? Oh yeah, I do. This is pretty. Cl- Maybe not close to that because Thermal Alchemist had the advantage of being able to do that at instant speed. Um, and you could also draw cards off of the spells you were casting. So you could potentially get into more power uh, with your instants and sorceries that you're going to cast to untap your Thermal Alchemist. So you're doing this all at sorcery speed to untap it. But I mean, it's it's close-ish to that. I just don't know if it has the same support. We had the Pirate Wall in Ixalan, and that was pretty good, too. Was it? Yeah, I, w- I was pretty I happy with it. I don't remember. Alright, well, that's fair. So, I-, I look forward to trying it anyway. Uh, Embrith Shieldbreaker, I think, is worth pointing out, because, like, I love the flexibility of this adventure card. It's one in red for a 2-1 Human Knight, Relevant Tribe, Sorcery of Battle Display, Destroy Target Artifact. Like, we've already mentioned a couple artifacts that are relevant, Food tokens are artifacts, so, like, being able to blow one up for free isn't anything to, like, shake a stick at. And, like, it's asking me to play a two-mana 2-1 with a relevant tribe in my deck. Like, just getting to main deck some artifact hate, I think, is pretty good. Now, the downside is you won't necessarily know to save it, right? Like, if you've got this in your opener with no other two-drop, you just I'm just playing it, right? And then my opponent plays an amazing artifact, and I feel stupid. But it gives you that top deck later effect on your Goblin Piker that I think is pretty good. Yeah, and if you're playing best of threes, I think then game two and game three, if you've seen those effects, like there's some pretty good legendary artifacts or even some pretty good equipment that you might want to blow up. Um, you know to maybe save this and, and hang on to it for a few extra turns before you you stick it as a two drop. Yeah, agree. Okay. Uh, Merchant of the Veil got me pretty excited for a couple of different reasons. Uh, it's two and a red for a two three, so solid body there already. It's got two and a red, no tap symbol, discard a card, draw a card. So a, a big thing for me that I noticed in this set is there's really not a lot to do with seven mana. So like just being able to cash in the seventh, eighth, ninth land is a pretty big deal. And it has an adventure too of haggle instant. You may discard a card if you do draw a card. This is one of those cards that like I would play it on its own, but it also kind of fuels this mechanic in red and blue that we've seen of drawing an extra card on your turn or being able to draw two cards in a turn. And it can do that on both sides. Uh, it could also make things keep keepable hands keepable that aren't right. Like I've got a mountain and this, and I just needed to uh, another land to get going, and I'm on the draw. I'm not a monster. I probably consider keeping that hand because I don't want a mulligan, and I think that this could let that happen. Yeah, I like mulligan insurance too. So yeah, no, I think this is a great card. Um, this will probably because it's a common like you should be able to get them. But if you're playing that second card matters archetype i think this is this is going to be a role player in that for sure i think so too um let's see you skipped joust did you really skip joust yeah just because joust is weird but like i figured you'd bring it up but we'll we'll talk about it here uh joust is i like fight spells uh one in red for a sorcery choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control the creature you control gets plus two plus one until end of turn if it's a knight then they fight so i like fight spells and i like fight spells that boost power and toughness I don't know if the plus one is enough. That's my problem. Like it, it's usually it's usually we see plus two. Although with we've had hunt the week before in green um, that gives it a plus one plus one counter, so it's slightly different. In green, you're playing bigger creatures, so I'm just curious to see if this ends up being a card that I like in red, or if I just don't ever end up taking it because you're really only putting it on a knight to get that extra value. So and again, creatures in red are usually not as big as the creatures in green that you need to be killing if you're in red. 
Well, if you did need an o- uh, a, a large knight, there is an ogre knight, ogre errant for three and a red, a three four at common. When it attacks, another target attacking knight gains menace until end of turn. So you can start to see these knight payoffs coming together and see the, like this this theme is solidly represented in red as well. Like I'd rather this was a four three, but whatever, I'll deal with it. I I can't picture the, an ogre on the horse though jousting. Yeah, this one looks like he's just walking, but you know, I'm if, maybe he doesn't even need a horse to joust. Maybe he carries the horse. He jousts with the horse. Maybe he rides a donkey. We got almost the whole way through without another reference. Uh red cap melee is red for an instant four damage to target creature or planeswalker. I wish we could stop there. If a non-red permanent is dealt damage this way, you sacrifice a land. Are you going to main deck this? Are you going to sideboard it? I'm main decking it. main deck it? I think there's... I mean, I'd just rather play the other ones. I would too. If I don't get them, I'm just going to play it anyway, though. Like, one mana, instant speed, four damage, sack a land. I would probably play that anyway in most decks. Like, again, I haven't seen a huge reason to want to hit six or seven lands consistently. Like, it's a real cost, and, like, you've got to be aware, like... You you are making a sacrifice when you play this, but I think I'm pretty happy to main deck this one. Right, so you're probably not playing it until, like, when? Like, turn 9, turn 10, when you have, like, 5 or 6 lands on the board? Ideally, yes. Okay. And maybe at that time you probably also have 4 cards in your graveyard? I uh, know, I'm just kidding. This this one's 1 mana, obviously entirely different. Yeah, so 1 is, is less okay, than 5, saying, is what you're saying? I was just... Now, I'm just saying that it requires some setup is all. It it does, but it always does four damage. It's never going to do two. It's never going to do six, to be fair, but it, it always is going to do what it says on the card. I mean, yeah, all right. I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah, I, I'm i done yanking. I, I hear you, but like I like my cards to do what they say they're going to do. Uh, what... How many how many times are you going to sacrifice a land and then like that you needed to cast the next spell off the top of your deck? Hopefully none because I'm aware of my curve, but like if there's something killing me and I don't have a way to remove it, this feels like a way to be able to do that. Yeah, that's fair. So like I I'm always looking for excuses to play more lands. So like if I can get two or three of the Merchants of the Veil, I'll just play 18 lands like happily. I love playing 18 land decks. So, like, with a, a rummaging style effect at common on a body that I'm already interested in blocking that I can discard and loot through the deck anyway and enable the themes of the format, like, sign me up. I think I can do a blue-red 18 land deck. I want to play that deck. All right. Because, like, there's nothing you can do if you get mana screwed, but you can kind of flood yourself on purpose and then have flood outlets. And, like, building that deck is the one I'm most excited about. Uh, but anyway, better removal spell, I think most people would agree, is Scorching Dragonfire. Uh, it's one in red for an instant, three damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it would die this turn, exile it instead. It's kind of a fixed incinerate, huh? Yeah, actually, it's that's surprising to me. Yeah, I, I think this is just solid removal. It's it's functionally lightning strike and limited. Like, sure, it doesn't go face, whatever. Like, lightning strike barely ever went face and limited anyway. So the fact that this doesn't doesn't matter that much. I'm pretty excited about it. I, I agree. I, I'm. Do we have lightning strike a common in the last time we had it, or was it? Uncommon? It was uncommon. It was uncommon. So having it back a common is kind of neat. Yeah, and red will be able to do its thing. Like this is not shock. This is significantly better than shock. Mm-hmm. 
Seven Dwarves, I think, is worth a shout out. Like, this is just Timber Pack Wolves of old. It's one in red for a 2-2. It gets plus one, plus one for each other creature named Seven Dwarves you control. A deck can have up to seven cards named Seven Dwarves. This applies for limited two, which it normally doesn't. If you somehow draft eight Seven Dwarves, you may only play seven of them. Uh, but that, that's not really going to happen. We saw functionally this card in green a couple core sets ago, and it was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't as good as Origins as it was in like M15 or M14, which is the first time that I played it. Yeah. Um, one of one of my first drafts actually ever on returning to Magic was, I want to say M15, and I drafted like six Timber Pack Wolves, and it was the greatest thing I'd, <laughs> I'd done in Magic to that point. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. So um, I think the magic number for these is probably four. Like if you're getting four, you're probably doing it and always having one or two in your opening hand. Like a, a, a three mana, you know, three mana attacking creature on turn two is huge. So uh, if you can do that, I think that's you're, that's probably worth it at that point. Yeah, and the cost is play a two mana two two. Like cool, I was yeah, going to exactly. do that anyway. Who cares, right? Uh, my yeah. favorite card in the set is Skullknocker Ogre. Three and a red for a four three. I, you could stop there, but we'll keep going. When it deals damage to an opponent, that player discards a card at random. If they do, they draw a card. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. It's a four mana four three without the extra like the double red on your uh, what was it called? The Borderland uh, Minotaur, the best card in Magic. Oh, the Minotaur. No, I was thinking of the other one. There was another four three for two red red. There's been tons oh, of them. They're all good. You're thinking of Summit anyway, Prowler. It, one... it doesn't matter. They're all yes, good, Dave. They're Summit all good dogs. Prowler. Summit Prowler was way better than the Minotaur. Um, I, I don't think that the discard a card, draw a card really means anything. It doesn't. Um, except, except that your opponent can hang on to lands to draw better cards. Somebody tried to so make that actually... argument to me, but in, you're technically right. But that means they're taking four damage every time they want to do that, which I'm perfectly happy with. Well, no, I'm just thinking of, like, what if they can't block it, right? So, like, I'm just thinking of a time, They're like... They're gonna die. Like, this, 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 the extra bonus, or the extra text here can't really ever be upside unless your opponent has spells in their hand that they can't cast. Yeah. Whereas they could turn it into an ups or not an upside, but they could turn it into less of a downside by keeping cards that are okay to discard. It, it's just weird. It's just, I don't think that second piece of text... Or means anything on this one, I, I, if that makes sense. I think it's just a four mana four three. It, I agree with you. I like four mana four threes. That, that's all okay, I was getting that's at. Fair. Uh, <laughs> yep. Slaying fire is our uncommon burn spell. Uh, it's two in red for an instant, three damage to any target. If you spent only red mana to cast it, four damage instead. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you want these or scorching dragon fires? I think I'd rather have the Scorching Dragon Fire just because it's cheaper, but if I end up with a mix of, like, two of one and one of the other, cool. I mean, this one has the upside of going face. That's fair. That's a real fair point. But the three mana, like, the two mana is so much nicer. I, I don't know. I think I want a mix, a healthy mix. So I'm probably taking the first Slaying Fire because it's an uncommon. That's fair. Either way, like, mm. whichever one you get, I yeah, think it's good. Around. Um, Thrill of Possibility, I think, is another one worth mentioning. Uh, this is one in red for an instant. As an additional ca cost to cast this spell, discard a card, draw two cards. Remember, if it gets countered, you're still discarding the card. That sucks. There's counter spells in the format. This is functionally Tormenting Voice at instant speed, uh, which is pretty cool. It makes hands capable that weren't capable before and does play into that theme that red and blue have of draw an extra card, get a benefit. Uh, so I kind of dug that that was here and that it was here at instant speed. 
I, what's super interesting too is this is this is a card that puts cards into your graveyard that you're interested in playing even if you're if you're red black that's fair too right this is this is an easy card if you're if you end up in a graveyard matters deck or you have some kind of reanimator shenanigans or you have order of knights or whatever right like there's a reanimator spell that we skipped over that seemed okay um this is a way that you're probably playing these anyway this is a way to get things in your graveyard yeah would you like there's a lot of things you could do with this i, I wouldn't pick it early but i like the card and i figured nope. it's worth mentioning mm-hmm. i think you covered everything that i wanted to in red so we're 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 on the same page on this one. Cool. Oh, I, I by the way, I called Merchant of the Veil in my in my notes the Red Opt. So <laughs> you're doing it right. I think it is. Um, all right, green. Let's power through green here. We're moving on to a nice, nice little clip here. Beanstalk Giant. Uh, I thought this would be the front runner for your favorite card in the format. It's a, a seven mana, so six and a green for a giant with star star. Its power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. It has an adventure. Two and a green. Search your library for a basic land card. Put it on the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Not battlefield tapped, by the way. Mm -hmm. Untapped. Makes it easier for you to double spell if you pick this up on turn five or turn six. Um, This reminds me of... What was the card? With land cycling. No, not land cycling. Uh, Yeah, when you cycle this card, search your library for a land and put it into play. Something Tusker. I remember what you're talking about. There's one in Emoncat. There was one in Zendikar. They were all good. Yeah, the Amonkhet one is the one that I was thinking of. Um, I really like this card. I like that it helps you hit your adamant or your double or your triple casting cost. Or splash. If you're playing, or splash if you're playing green, you can splash in green. Um, but also it just rewards you later on for for that ramp. So sometimes you have ramp and then nothing to do. Sometimes you have those big things to do, but no ramp. This is both in one card. Yeah, which is fantastic. Like, ramp away. Like, you can ramp just for itself. I think you need to take some advantage in your deck of the the mana constraints here. But I don't even think that's a real problem with all these adamant cards that we've seen going around. So I liked Beanstalk Giant a lot, especially at Uncommon. I'm going to play as many of these as I can get. Yep. All right, so I asked this on the warm-up show, but what would you do for a Klondike bar? Would you play a 1-3 in your deck? Curious Pair is a 1 and a green for a 1-3 with flavor text. And it has an adventure, Treats to Share, which is a single green for a sorcery, create a food token. I mean, this is Hansel and Gretel, which is pretty cool. But, like, I, I fought with Ethan a little bit on this one because I really like the card. I've gotten to where I like 1-3s and limited. And he actually said when I said that, like, somebody in my chat said, Travis really likes blocking. And he said, I forgot that about you. You get all excited about stat lines. I thought you liked attacking. I'm like, I just like playing creatures and limited. Like, one of my favorite things to do is just shove five blockers in front of one creature and let my opponent figure it out. Like, I love blocking, and 1-3s are good at blocking, and it looks like food is going to be a mechanic that's particularly interesting in green by itself self-contained, and then particularly in blue. You've mentioned there's ways to abuse that with the fairy. Um, They were interested in having artifacts in blue. They're interested in having artifacts in white. Black has a lot of food eaters. The only place I didn't see this being completely amazing was in red, but, like, don't play it in green-red. So, like, if this is good in all of the green color pairs except red, I'm like, this is probably pretty good. And, like, a two-drop that does something if I draw it late in the game is fine, too. Like, you know, a little extra mana gains some life. Like, this is a weird kicker mechanic card. And, like, the one threes with kicker were good in Dominaria. I think they'll be good here, too. So, I'm not saying go nuts and first pick this. I'm saying if I have four two-drops in my deck and they're all curious pairs, I'm probably all right with that. I mean... 
I'd probably play a, a two mana one three that gained me three life. Yeah, this is not that far from that. It's pretty close. And if it's enabling your other things, like if you have, let's say you have no real food synergies and you're just eating them for, for life, you're probably not playing these, right? You're probably playing two mana two twos instead. Yes, but if you've drafted okay. properly you and you're green, like again, what's the color pair? White and blue care about having artifacts, which this makes, and black and green care about having food, which this makes. So like if you don't have mm-hmm. a payoff in your deck, yeah, just play a two two. But as long as you yeah. do, these these look great. Okay. Just making sure that we're on the same page on that one. Um I wanna do you want to talk about I want your take on Edgewall Innkeeper, because I'm not really sure where I came down on this one. So it's a, a single green for a one mana or for a, a one one, uh not a knight. Whenever you cast a creature spell that has an adventure, draw a card. So you've got to put a 1-1 in your deck for one, which nobody likes. But how many cards do you have to draw for this one to make it worthwhile? doesn't matter because I'll never draw any. Um, You're not going to do it? No, I'm never going to do this. So Hmm. for me, and here's here's the breakdown, you would have to draw two. Um, Okay. And and then the upside is I got a free 1-1. That's not enough of an upside for me. To me, this looks like I'm putting a bad card in my deck to make my good cards better, which I'm kind of just out on. Like, all of the adventure cards, with maybe the exception of Curious Pair, if you're not doing something with the food, fair fair point. But they're all two-for-ones anyway. So I'm going to put a one-mana one-one in my deck to make my two-for-ones into three-for-ones? I, I don't think I need to do that at this cost, because, like, this body just doesn't do anything. I think this is just a prime example of vanilla te- like vanilla test not being good enough. If this is a two mana two two, or even a three mana two three, I'm going to be going nuts over this card. But a one mana one one just isn't relevant enough. Okay, so of note, it doesn't have to go on the adventure first, which is interesting. Yeah. So um, I think it depends. Like if you have a critical mass, like if you're if you're coming through pack two and you have like nine or ten adventure cards and you know what colors you are and this comes around to you. Um, I could see a case for putting it in that deck, but I think it takes a very specific deck and I don't think I'm ever going to get that deck. But like if, if, if everything you has in it is in a, is an adventure card or like, you know, half of your cards are adventure cards or whatever. Like that's a lot of, you can draw a lot of cards off of this, I think. And because you can go like the, the dream scenario of one drop this two drop creature that has an adventure on it that you didn't send on an adventure and draw a card and get that early card advantage, if, I don't if this know. Had the text, I, I think I think there's a deck here for it. If this had the text under it, draw six cards in your opening hand, put this into your opening hand. Yeah, let's talk. Yes, but th- yes, exactly. Therein lies the challenge. Like I don't think I need to work to make the adventure cards better. I think they're already better, so I'll just play them. If I've got twelve adventure cards, I don't need this. I need like solid removal spells and like other solid bodies. Hmm. I guess this does make bounce spells a little bit better getting that recur like repeatable effect or or graveyard recursion effects like if you're green black on this one and getting those adventure cards back so may- maybe there's something here but you're right like i think Did it's you play a one mana enchantment risk. that had this text probably okay i don't think i would and maybe if, that's the difference if, no no because no because i i think i think i would if i built my deck around it in fact i would probably rather the enchantment over this because it can't die yeah i think it would be significantly better if it was an enchantment or a two mana yeah. two two, or two mana two twos, right? Something that that you would you don't mind attacking and blocking, but like that's kind of what I look at this as is it's all, it's almost an enchantment, and I I think 
I, I think there's going to be some decks that you're going to see on Twitter or on Twitch that are going nuts with this card. I don't know if I'm going to be one of them, but I'm very curious to see if somebody can make that happen. Somebody will. It won't be me. I'm like I'm. I'm never drafted. Sewer rat may taste like taste like pumpkin pie, but I'll never know because I'll never eat it. All right, that's fair. Um, this is my my favorite comment in the entire format. I mean, bacon to a pie is close, but I think this. Uh, I want bacon to pie more, but I really want fierce witch stalker in all of my green it's decks. So good. It's so dumb. Two green, green, four, 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 trample. When it enters the battlefield, make a food token. What would you do for a Klondike bar? I would pet this nasty dog for a Klondike bar. That's what I would it's do. It's a good dog. It's a good dog. It's it's a good dog. Yeah, this, they're all good it, dogs. But, like, this is super busted. How is this not an uncommon? I don't understand how a card like this is not an uncommon. Me either, which may mean that it's worse than we think it is, or their playtesters were just getting super high when they printed this one and were like, yeah, sure, man, give it some food. I, I don't I don't understand, but this looks phenomenal to me. You know what I might do? I might just pick everyone that I see and be like, I don't care what's in the pack. We're, pick first, we're picking every Witch Stalker we see, and I bet you that deck wins a draft. It could get close. I mean, it's just I love the food on a card that I'm going that I I would put in my deck anyway because it's so easy to make sure that I can like enable my food mechanics in green black or whatever or right? green blue like, or or, I, or, I, or green blue or whatever I'm doing, right? Like I have a card that doesn't cost me anything and doesn't make me feel bad for putting it in my deck. Yeah. It's stupid. I'm all over this card. Uh Garenberg's Carver is three and a green for a three, two with flavor text. But it, this is another one of those combat tricks that I'm interested in, which is one and a green. It's got an adventure one and a green for an instant target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. This is another one of those two for one insurances. I think, I think I like the white one a little bit more, but this one is, is totally fine. I think if you're looking for combat tricks in your green deck, because sometimes I would play one and a green for plus two, plus two with reach or plus two, plus two and untap or whatever. And then also having the upside of just a random dorky creature that I can double block with later. I'm totally about these cards. I actually like this one better than the white one because the trick is cheaper and the creature's more expensive. So, like, it's kind of encouraging me to have the play pattern that I want to have with it anyway, which is cast the combat trick first and then play the creature later. So I feel like I'm getting a decent rate on the combat trick. And as you mentioned, usually we'd get reach or untap it or something extra. Uh, lifelink we're used to seeing on cards like this, sometimes even first strike. But here we get it turns into a creature later. Like two mana plus two plus two is enough to win most combats if you're attacking. And then being able to, like, after I've run out whatever my good cards are, play a four mana three two that's functionally free. I'm super happy with that. And at common, like, I think the only thing I'm picking over this is a fierce witch stalker. That's fair. Okay, so you love curious pairs. I do. So are you going to run Curious Pair into Curious Pair into Giant Opportunity? I hope so. <laughs> two green. This card is... <laughs> I love this card. Two and a green for a sorcery. Sacrifice... You may sacrifice two foods. I'm sorry. You may. If you do, create a 7-7 seven, seven green giant creature token. Otherwise, create three food tokens. Yeah. I, I hope I hope to God I get to seven somebody on turn four. That's all I want to do in this format. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm certainly gonna try. Like this, this seems like a giant opportunity, like self-contained, right? Like draft a deck that's making food and using food. Put this in it, and it'll be good. Like because either it's giving you the food that you need to use, or it's turning it into something that that can happen. But like, 
I, I don't think you can just put this into your average deck and be fine. You need to have ways to make food or ways to use food. As long as you can do that, you should be fine here. Yeah, um, with the Bog Nasty or whatever, the 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 minus three, minus three activated ability, this is awesome. There you go. Because if you have food, great. If you don't, great. Like, it just doesn't matter. So, uh, okay, so play pattern I want to do is Witch Stalker into Keeper of Fables. So turn four, turn five. Keeper of Fables is three green, green for a four, five. Whenever one or more non-human creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. Yeah, this this is fine. I, I don't think it's like the most busted creature ever, even though I do like cats. Like, it's double green. It's a four, five. It's uncommon. You're not drawing multiple cards a turn. All of that said, it's it's a five mana four five. Those are already fine, and this is just solid upside. I think I'm a little more excited about this in green literally anything else because there's a lot of flyers that aren't humans where I can take advantage of this. Uh, but who cares? This card's great. I mean, it's it's almost like uh, the shaman, silverback shaman from the last set. Yeah, in a, in a way, it kind of is. In a way, that's that's kind of what I'm looking but not at, at common. because unfortunately because you should be able to get a card off of this one especially in green blue. yeah i think green blue is where it's really going to shine okay um carrying on to my next page on scryfall here uh what's next for me out muscle just uh our good removal spell it's a three and a green for hunt the week if you remember hunt the week put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control then it fights target creature you don't control but with the upside so strictly better with adamant if you spend at least three green mana on this spell your creature gains indestructible until end of turn worth noting that there's a human suplexing a bear on the art we've graduated from bear punch to bear suplex yes we have hunt the week was great this is strictly better hunt the week sold let's do it sold rose thorn acolyte two and a green for a two three with the activated ability tap and add one mana of any color to your mana pool also has the sorcery seasonal ritual green sorcery go on an adventure add one mana of any color so you get to filter your green into something else early um or at any point if you wanted the enter the battlefield effect for whatever reason um i like this as a fixer i like this as a ramper if you need a three mana ramper i don't know how useful the seasonal ritual would be except maybe to get adamant or to just enable your like two like your double pip creatures or your triple pip creatures at some point it would work too, like if I'm stuck on green and I've got a blue two drop I want to play or a red two drop mm -hmm. or whatever it could do that. Somebody in chat said it was a Metamorphose. I said, no, it's not. Metamorphose draws a card. They said, this does two. It just draws this card. I was like, okay, you got me. Got him. You got me. You were technically correct. Shut up. Uh, but overall, I think I like this. It does look like I'll be able to splash if I'm playing green and that I'll be more likely to get adamant if I'm playing green. And there's some fives and sixes I'm interested in getting to play them a turn early. Sure seems nice. It's common. Mm -hmm. I think that it, it's common, so get a few of these. Um, that's all that I had, I think. Okay, let me peek through here and see if there was anything else that I wanted to chat about. I don't think there was a common or uncommon. Okay. So, out of the colors, what are you most most interested in playing without seeing the gold cards? So, for me, blue looked weak, but blue often always does. Red looked kind of weak to me, too. So I think green-black are really the colors that I'm most interested in. I could sort of start to see the combos coming together, but I, I think green was really where I was interested. Like, that that pupper, 4-mana four 4-4 four, four trample with food, 
like I, I don't know what to do other than play that. And then four mana instant speed removal with food. Like let's bake some pies and have a good time with our doggos. How about you? I agree. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm definitely in on the black green. Um, red. I mean, I like the removal in red. Um, but, uh, I can get that removal in, in black. It looked like instead. So I think if I had to pick a, a color combo to draft on my first draft, it's going to be black green. If, if I got to force it and, and get good cards, but it really depends. Like there's a lot of good rares. There's a lot of good mythics that obviously we didn't talk about. So, um, as always just draft the open color, but there's some, there's some pretty sweet cards in, in all the colors, except maybe white. White's kind of, why is white getting like the, the, butt end of the stick these days it isn't like that it got the butt end of the stick on arena because the bots didn't recognize that pacifism wasn't always a first pick right like when i went and drafted on magic online i still didn't have many white decks but when i did they were actively good you just needed to be the only person in it and the way that arena's bots are drafting you couldn't be the only person in white that's fair um i would say let's talk about the gold cards but i think they're all pretty reasonable they all do what they say on the tin um i kind of want to skip these unless there's anything you want to talk about in particular i didn't like the blue black one and you probably do but we can figure out why and then move along with our lives but yeah i I agree yeah i mean the the blue black one is just because like you're gonna have stuff in your graveyard so i don't think you need to enable it whatever it doesn't matter i also really like the equipment by the way the the red black steel call lance that one's quite one I really like that one because one equip cost for plus two plus two is bananas. And we're both going to like Savvy Hunter. That's just no question. That's the green black one. Um, Then there's all the hybrid cards, which are basically just the gold cards. Like you're you're not going to splash for these ones ever, except maybe in green, you might be able to get away with it. Um, But I think they're all also very good. I wanted to talk about the lands while I had you on the line. This is a good one to talk about. All right. So, so let's skip artifacts multicolor cards i don't think there's any artifacts i really care about even um there's some neat ones but like nothing that i'm super interested in playing or really even talking about so the the common lands so we don't get dual lands for fixing a common which is unfortunate we don't even get it at rare with the exception of uh like a rare evolving wilds and the only other fixing we get is tournament grounds which is at uncommon which taps for mardu colors only for knight or equipment spells so we're basically two colors unless you're playing green. That That's what we're looking at in this format. Mm-hmm. But what we do get for lands are we get these weird kind of common lands with a regular land type. So the, the red one is a mountain, for example. Enter the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other mountains or forests or whatever color you're playing. And then if they enter untapped, you get some kind of ability out of them. So this is super neat because we've seen in the past, we've seen spell lands where you play them tapped and then at some point later in the game you get to activate them to do something we've seen cycle lands so you cycle them draw a card if you don't need them i don't think i've ever played with anything like this where it enters the battlefield tapped or untapped and if it does something untapped it gets you some kind of value later in the game so i'm curious what your take is on these cards because i'm very interested in playing three of the five of these i think think i'm interested in four of the five Four of the five? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't... I'm not, I'm not so sold on the white one, but... So let's go down them. So we've got red as Dwarven Mine. All the same uh, kind of characteristics that I just described, except when it enters the battlefield untapped, you get a 1-1 Dwarf Creature Token. I think this is the worst of I them. think it is too, and I still don't even think it's that bad. 
Uh, but generally speaking, as far as spell lands go, like these are pretty easy to put into your deck. They take up a land slot and not a spell slot. I think Ethan and I decided that all of them other than the Dwarven Mine, I'm taking over replacement level cards in that color. The problem here is like a 1-1 doesn't really do that much. Like it's not bad to get, but it's it, like that's barely worth a card anyway. So I don't really quite feel like I'm getting super value out of it, but it's not bad. If you're playing a deck that's going to have nine mountains in it anyway, this may as well be one of them. The problem is, is you don't get that 1-1 one, one till turn four. Yeah, and it did, like that's where it's like, I don't know about the 1-1. One, one. It's outlived its usefulness. If it was a if it was a dwarf knight creature token. Or if you just always got it. Like I could play this tap turn one and yeah. get it. It's good. Well, yeah, that's that's a little ridiculous, but uh, Gingerbread Cabin is the green one. Same characteristics, except you get a food token. This is more relevant because, you know, on turn four, turn five, turn six, whatever, it's just gain three life. Or it's enable your, your Bognati or whatever you're doing with your food tokens, right? So I really like this one. Um, I think this is probably the one that feels the most balanced, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Like, this feels like the one that's in the middle. I'm never unhappy, but I don't feel like I have to go out of my way to pick this really highly. I mean, I'm still picking this, I think, over most, re- like, replacement-level filler green cards, um, as mm-hmm. long as I have something to do with the food, right? Like, again, it can be white, blue, and I care about the artifact. It can be green, black, and I care about the food token itself. But, like, I agree, this one feels balanced. I don't feel like I'm getting something amazing, but I feel like I'm getting a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Idyllic Grange, is that right? Uh, gets a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. That doesn't sound like you're getting enough, but when you start thinking about the archetypes that this could go in and the fact that there's a common knight with first strike, there's commons in white that have flying, the power and toughness spread seems to be relatively basic here, like nothing super huge. So like turning a 3-3 three, three into a 4-4 four, four is kind of a big deal. All of a sudden I'm getting interested in this one. Um, it's also mm-hmm. by making you play it late game to get the counter, kind of ensuring that you're going to have the creature, right? Like, do you ever play a New Horizons because you kind of had to and you didn't get your counter and you're like, I didn't get full value, that sucked. Well, this one, like, who cares? Just play it out early if you need a tap land and you're going to need the mana. But if you play it late, by turn four, you should have something in play. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like this one, especially sticking it on a flyer. Like, I think that's going to be where... I'm going to get a lot of value out of this card. Yeah. Mystic. Yeah. Mystic Sanctuary. Uh, you get to put target instance or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library. Your library. Yeah. And generally speaking in limited, those are removal spells or card draw spells at, at worst. So like getting another one of those certainly sounds good to me. And it, it's at the cost of virtually nothing. Virtually nothing. I mean, you, you yeah, exactly. Like Really, the only time these cards are going to punish you is on turn two or turn three when you top deck it and you really needed an untapped yes. land. That's really the only time these cards are going to punish you. Uh, Witch's Cottage, same thing, except you get to put Creature Card on top of your uh, library from your graveyard. I like this one more than the blue one, and I couldn't initially figure out why because it's such a similar effect. And then I was like, oh, because I'm playing like 15 creatures in four instances or sorceries. So it's just far more likely that I could get something back. And in many cases, the best creature in my graveyard will be better than a random card from the top of my deck. So I'd be pretty happy about that. Uh, so I, I think for me that this this one is the best, then the blue one, then the mm-hmm. green one, then the white mm-hmm. one. And then way down the list is the red one. Like the red one, I'm probably not going to play. The black one and the blue one, I think I'm going to go out of my way to get. And the green one and the white one, I think go in my decks when I have one. 
I think that is the best way to put it. And I don't think I'm too worried about playing these in multiples either. Yeah, because who cares? They're just lands. They're just lands. I mean, yeah, they enter the battlefield tapped, but they have that basic land type. Mm -hmm. So they'll help with the other ones stay untapped. They'll help with the other ones come untapped later on. So, So you're playing, like if you have two Witch's Cottage and you play one early, your late one will be more likely to be untapped. So I, I think I like that. Yeah, I, and I really like these. And again, for people who aren't quite getting it, it's worth taking a second to explain. If if I draft my 23 cards and then I put 17 basic lands in, I'm playing 23 cards that I drafted. If Dave drafts three of these lands and then puts in his, his basic lands on top of that and then his cards, he's actually playing 26 cards that he drafted. He's able to play more cards that he picked and get lands that have a spell-like effect. So when I'm top-decking a swamp and saying, darn it, I really needed that to be a spell, Dave's top-decking a witch's cottage and going, cool, I get almost a raised dead style effect, and I don't understand why Dave's beating me, and it's because he picked these lands and I didn't. Yep. In a, in a format where everything are two-for-ones, if I can get more two-for-ones than you... I'm going to win that game. Yeah, like, but maybe that's the other reason to like the Witch's Cottage better is I can get back my Adventure Time dudes. That is that is something to keep in mind is that the blue one does not get back your Adventure uh, creatures. They are creatures everywhere except on the stack as, as a Sorcery and Instant. So Witch's Cottage probably gets a bump up strictly for that. Like buying back your Gravedigger buying back your removal spare there's a there's an adventure removal spell at rare like yeah the black one's gonna be nutty agree agree okay i think that's it for me i'm ready to uh to wrap this one up do the preview event on arena tomorrow and then come back later in the week and talk about our first impressions after having played the set for a couple of days yeah that sounds good to me man in the meantime i i i think i could draft this till the morning comes As it's midnight currently? Yes, yes. See, the, the people needed to know what time it was to be in on that joke. It, it's also the name of a song by Smash Mouth. Is it? Oh, I missed that. You snuck that yeah, one by me? and then I couldn't let it go. I had to show how clever I was and ruin it. See, here's the thing. You had to know all the Smash Mouth songs to know that one. Yeah, you had to really be a fan. But, I mean, let's be honest. Who isn't? I'm not. Anyway... Thanks for listening. Where can they catch you this week if they wanted to watch your preview event tomorrow sponsored by Wizards, hashtag sponsored? You could find me at hashtag twitch.tv slash simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. I'm on Twitter under the same name. And full FTC disclosure, I am also sponsored by Wizards Tomorrow, twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also follow us. We're at arena underscore athletes. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.